0: Uh, we are, get my bearings here, we are looking into Saving Truth, we're in our third um, sermon of the series, uh, and again this is by uh, Abdu Murray, and we're looking at um, th- this particular subject of getting freedom wrong, this is his title in the book, um, and uh, this is a very interesting, this is probably a two-parter, so what we're looking at today um, is the concept of autonomy versus freedom autonomy meaning being and literally meaning a law unto ourselves uh, versus freedom that is freedom in Christ and the word so today we're mostly looking at autonomy and what that means and how the world is misunderstanding what freedom is Uh, and and I'll go more into that today and next week we'll then look more deeply into the what is called clarity of freedom uh, where he help, where Abdu helpfully tells us how to clarify what freedom means uh, in line with the word. So this week, uh, it, it is to look at um, autonomy. But overall, firstly, freedom as uh, when we look at freedom, as understood by the world. And then secondly, freedom as it should be understood in line with the Bible. Um, and uh, today is what is autonomy and why autonomy is not freedom. Why being a law unto ourselves feels like freedom... But actually is not and that's what we're going to be looking at it's very easy to be persuaded that being a law unto ourselves having our own truth is freedom when in fact it's not so we'll look at these verses to guide us which is James 1 verse 22 to 27 and they say this James 1 22 to 27 says uh, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, I've done something and you're hearing me online and no one can see me, which I've just realized. No one can see what's going on. And I apologize for that. (laughs) But it's okay, because they're going to be able to see you now. Okay. Yes. Apologies for those online. Um, Okay. But all the audio is there, so that's fine. So let's carry on. Let's start again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror uh, and after looking at himself, where are we up to? Uh, Looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. There is lots to unpack in these verses. But I think um, in today's world, I think we are, we are faced with the ever increasing um, mindset of, of polarization uh, in regards to different and opposing ideas around society and its progress. And specifically, it seems uh, that, that how ideas are engaged with, debated, uh, agreed and disagreed on, has become somewhat of a volatile experience. Um, in the book, Abdu basically refers to the, the concept that we've lost the ability to reason with one another. We've lost the ability to talk to one another about opposing ideas. Uh, and because that's because what's happened now is truth has become somewhat of a moving target. Uh, and so he speaks into this problem that we've lost reason. And so when, whenever we speak out against or speak, speak against, not even speak out, but speak against something we don't agree with, we're seen as bigoted, racist, whatever you want to call it. We're seen as something extreme when we don't agree with something that the world is doing. And so we've lost this ability to reason and to say, but I disagree with you. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't... uh, Christians don't love people who don't agree with them. We must love them in order to be able to have a conversation and reason with people. How do we do that? We can't act like the world. And so he comes uh, and and he says that there's this concept we've lost the ability to reason. And this has shown itself, as he, as he says in his book, to be the case in universities, uh, at least within the last three years. Uh, there's been three three particular things that I, I've seen, uh, I've read about, um, just to give you some examples of how in, in universities it's kind of become a bit more of an extreme uh, uh, area of how people disagree and agree with one another. Uh, there are these three particular things I have just found these, these are not things necessarily that I agree or disagree with, but examples of of, of the kind of how we've lost our ability to reason. And so there's three of them. The first one is there were repeated attempts at an event at Goldsmiths University in London by an Islamic society to prevent an ex-Muslim, a feminist campaigner, uh, Maryam Namazi, I think that's the name from speaking, students heckled her and accused her of intimidation. Uh, and then the second one is a University of Manchester Students' Union banned feminist speaker, a uh, Julie and right-wing commentator, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, uh, Milo Yana, Yana, for, now, <laughs> His name is Milo, you'll see it. Um, <laughs> you know who can say the word in my head, but I can't see the name. Um, from speaking at a student society debate on free speech. Uh, a proposed conference was the third one at Southampton University questioning the legitimacy Uh, of the Israeli state and that was cancelled into fears of mass protest. Uh, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with these concepts. The point that has been made initially uh, is that we have lost the ability to reason, to engage with people who don't necessarily agree with one another and so what we get are people who polarise and then what they do is they, they live in their own world of truth and if you dare even disagree with it Uh, that could be wrong. I don't agree uh, with right-wing, extreme right-wing people. That's not why I said that. Uh, It's just because it's a point that we need to hear in order to disagree with them. Does that make sense? We need to hear what they say, the content of their message, so that we can dismiss it rightly and in truth. Does that make sense? We need to be able to hear that so we know what people are saying. Otherwise, what happens is we push things underground. And we know that when things get pushed underground it goes terrible and it goes bad. So we need to be able to engage with people, but it doesn't mean we have to agree with them. hope that makes sense. I need to make that like abundantly clear that I don't agree or disagree and with any of these statements in that particular, I'm not doing that to, to make a political statement of any sort. But back to the message. There's a, a now an expectation not just in universities but also in society to shield people from speech and ideas that could be considered offensive. <clears throat> and this I would say, at this point, is not a case for people to say what they like, as it, in quotes, say what they like, uh, because they say it how it is. Uh, that's not an excuse. It doesn't it doesn't let people do that, just because you're saying, well, truth must, must reign. Well, actually, yes, you're right, truth must be true, But it it can't be, my verse, it must be forced on people. And certainly as Christians, uh, we need to be careful that we don't wander into taking Scripture out of context and then apply it to our lives where it's convenient or not convenient. Because then we're living a truth that is not true to the Word, but is conveniently true for us. And so more so the, the teaching here for Christians is that we must live to the Word no matter how much we might struggle with some of the verses and books in the Bible and the character of God himself that we accept God for who he is because we believe in God. And along that way, we have to accept that God did things in our society that society doesn't agree with. But as Christians, we're in submission to the authority of God. And so when we read his word, we say, there's a reason why that happened. There's a reason why those things occurred. And the Bible explains why those things occurred. And yet we cherry pick from verses because it's convenient to show how bad, in quotes, God is. That's an easy thing to do. So I must reiterate that in order to get to a place where we can go back to reasoning, thinking, acting wisely, then we must all accept the responsibility for the freedom we do have. To be able to once again engage without trying to destroy one another. The world today is about destroying one another. And even it's not even didn't even start from recent times. That has been the case since day one. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, destruction began. Trying to destroy one another is what we're good at, unfortunately. Society only progresses and changes when ideas and concepts are heard, no matter how disagreeable they are, but that we also reason and assess the facts of the idea so we don't blindly accept or reject them. This is a very difficult thing to do in this day and age, and especially from a Christian point of view, when you're talking about, you're, you're debating with someone about uh, the, how much you believe the hope you have for Jesus. There are all sorts of strange and wonderful theories about who Jesus was and that he wasn't God or that he was this and that he was that and wasn't he wise and that's all he was. Wasn't he a good teaching and didn't he say nice things and he helped some lepers, didn't he? It's okay to engage with people who just don't see the full picture because they need to see the full picture. And if they don't agree with us, that's Okay. We just need to be sure we can engage with them so we need to change this idea this approach that we um, take sides uh, I've said this before if you've seen it in football matches you would have seen uh, that everyone most players uh, when they celebrate a goal they will do uh, a cross they will celebrate um, and say thank you God and someone got t-shirts on and all sorts of stuff that's happened in the past and there is a sense that, you know, there's even you think, well, whose side is God on when the football match, in this football game? Whose, whose team is he supporting? And yet on both sides, you'll have someone who will celebrate and worship God after they score a goal. Strange to watch, but actually uh, God is not on anyone's side except his own. <laughs> uh, and that's how we come. We come to uh, God, not with, not with who we are. Not We don't come with something that's worth anything. We come to God and say, oh, I've got nothing to offer says, so that's okay, because Jesus came and died for you. God's got everything to offer. But this um, idea of uh, assessing facts and, and, and not blindly accepting or rejecting them, it actually exposes an issue wherever you stand, politically or personally, and this is the issue of autonomy being mistaken for freedom. Um, we learned in our first talk that the culture of the world has moved to elevating preferences and opinions over facts and truths. And that's what we're seeing. So broadly what we have are people that push ideas purely from a perspective of preference and feelings and opinion. The concept that truth can change from one thing to another based on how we feel about it. And this would be in what we call an autonomy approach where we behave like uh, we are a law unto ourselves. So it changes depending on how we feel what the law is. We define the law and we start being autonomous and we start saying, well, I create what is true. And if you come against that, then you're wrong. Even if you bring truth, you're wrong. That's, that's the state of the world today. That's what we see in, in many places in society We see it in in the US, we see it in US elections, we see it in in various groups, especially as the run up to the US elections, we're seeing all this polarization of groups of people that have their own truths, their own version of what they think is right and wrong. But for us as Christians, we need to be aware of that because that's being a law unto ourselves when we start defining what that means. And so then we have the people that have a perspective of truth and facts. But also you should know that even as we may go, come with truth and facts first, you must know that we also come with feelings. We also come with opinion. We also come with personal preference. Uh, no matter how much you want to read into facts and go, I- I'm, I'm just going to do this from a fact-based approach, there will be bias because that's just who we are. We, we are human. We, we love, we hate, we we make friends, we despise, we, whatever you want to call it, there is a biasness within us, even if we are first going with facts. So I'm not saying that these people are, are great in themselves, that they've got it nailed, as it were. And so even when there are these people that are driven by truth and facts, they're still driven by a degree of preference of feelings and opinion. But the concept that truth and facts must come first before we bring in preference and feelings and opinions. This is being more like the truth, uh, true freedom approach, uh, where we operate as best we can within the confines of the truth that is immovable. So we operate as much as we can as Christians within the truth of the word. Whilst we do get it wrong and we do make mistakes, our intention is to get it right. Does that make sense? Our intention is that we must, we aim and we strive to get it right because we want to live by the word as God has shown us but it is possible to stay within it. So with this preference approach, meeting with, and meeting with the truth and fact approach, I think you'll find that inevitably what it will mean is that both will disagree with one another. Because where they come from is two different sources of truth. I have my truth, which is changeable depending on how I feel today. And hopefully more so for Christians, it's I have the biblical truth, which stays the same because we believe that God never changes and is unchanging. So we believe his word to be the same. And so when these two ideas get together, there's going to be clashes. Is it any wonder that the Bible tells us that this will be the case? People will not accept Jesus. People will reject him. And we even see that before the cross, that people already rejecting Jesus before even got there. So as Christians, we must be careful to not succumb to a post-truth mindset or misinterpret autonomy to mean freedom. And this is exactly what James talks about in the verses we are looking at today. Uh, He says this in uh, James 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And what he's doing is highlighting that believers especially should be wholly rooted and characterised in this way. And this is really important because what he means uh, to deceive yourself is to literally mean in the Greek, reason beside or alongside, as in beside oneself. So to reason with yourself. This is making sense now how we talk, when we talk about movable truth, if I'm reasoning with my own truth, where's truth? It depends on how I reason with it. <laughs> My standards, there is no standard of truth anymore because I reason with myself. And that's what James is talking about here in the original Greek. And it's to miscalculate or to reason falsely. And apparently, I don't know if this is true, but this word is used in mathematics as well. Um, uh, to, get a, to miscalculate is like something so heinous. It's something so bad that you're, you're just sort of shunned. You know, So they use this word very heavily in mathematics uh, to say you've, you've miscalculated, you've um, misreasoned, you've, you've, you've deceived yourself. I don't know where that comes from. I tried to look that up. I, heard, I saw someone said it. I don't know where it comes from, but apparently it's used in mathematics. The point being is that it's used as a strong emphasis to say it's false reasoning. It's false reasoning. The scribes and the Pharisees were hearers of the word. The devil's spirits even heard and believed, uh, but were not doers. Uh, James 2 verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's still in James as well. Isn't it great how James continues this point? It's not just enough to listen. You must do. You must do and, and live the word because everyone believes the devil even believes the demons even believe what makes us different from them James says not just listening but doing makes us different living out the Christian life is what sets us apart and this is not a doer of works in the practical sense but to live out every day in the same way we believe is what James calls us to do But how do we bridge this divide uh, between preference and truth? How do we tell the difference and see the hope in seeking freedom and not autonomy that is disguised as freedom? Well, it's good news for Christians, but it's good and bad news for the non-believer. And when I say it's good news for Christians, I say that, it just means I'm going to reveal to you that there's a lot more work to do in the mission field. It depends how you feel about working in the mission field. It's great news because there's a massive mission field. Romans 2, verse 12 to 16. Which has now suddenly stopped because... Okay. My thing has died. Okay. Let me start that again. My little clicker has died, I'm afraid. Okay. Romans 2... Uh, verse 12 to 16 says this, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. I'll explain this in a minute. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciousness are also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing, accusing them, at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Now, the thing you're going to pick up on straight away is why does he just say my gospel? He's not saying My gospel. Okay, he is speaking in terms of what his gospel is through Jesus Christ. He believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is now his gospel. He doesn't own it, he preaches it. Does that make sense? I need to quickly clear that up because I've seen people misunderstand what this means. It is not his gospel, he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's explain all the other stuff because Romans gets tricky, right? Okay, so just to hear the law and do nothing about it would not help at all. Well, just hearing about Jesus will not save save us either. We must act upon what we hear. And a burden is laid on the person receiving salvation to accept it. We have a free will which God will not violate. You may perceive that in different ways. But there is a sense that God does not violate something of a decision. Uh, Because the Bible, certainly in the New Testament, what you'll find is a constant um, petitioning. To people, The very ministry of Acts is petitioning so that people will come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. But Paul says that without really knowing it, pagan society will still attempt to practice God's law in its basic form. Now that's the good news. Because actually what it means is there's God says, it's, and I'll come to this, it's written on our hearts. Whether you believe in God at this point or not, What he's saying here is it's written on our hearts, which means there's a way back. What's happening is that people are misdirecting what God has written on their heart. And so we still see society being good and bad, right and wrong, because there is still an instilled sense of right and wrong and good and bad that God has written on our hearts. That's great news. Unfortunately, as we've all experienced, we can misuse and abuse it. People, he says, on the whole, still value justice, honesty, compassion and goodness toward others. And that is because he's pointing to this verse uh, in Jeremiah 31, verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the good news here is that pagans, we say pagans, the world will reflect the divine law written on their hearts. The bad news is that if they reject that, the knowledge reject that the knowledge of God's law is in fact God's law, then they become a law unto themselves. So if I skew, so God's saying, I've written this on your hearts. And this is going to get difficult, church, because I'm going to say to you that there is no excuse. When God has written the law on our hearts as part of who we are, then the question of whether, well, what if the, the word isn't preached in places? Well, what we know to be true is what the Bible says, which is that he's written it on our hearts. And so the bad news is that if people reject that it is in fact God's law and the way they're acting is actually from the way God's written it on their hearts through good and bad, right and wrong, it will actually witness against them on judgment day. Because it's God's law that ultimately will and does stand. So if I take God's law and I skew that and I change it and I make it a worship to myself, it will witness against me. Because it's God's law and not mine it will still show how depraved I am. The ultimate good news is that despite what appears to be a gulf between those that seek this autonomy or trying to be a law unto themselves and those that seek true freedom, there is always a way because God made it so by writing it on every person's heart. And then not only that, he then sent his son to die on a cross to rise again. There is always a way back always so when we're talking about having these debates and worrying that people are so polarized that is that's difficult to talk to those people but it's not impossible and we cannot be scared of the prospect that we will have to face these people and and disagree with their truth even if in a worldly and society-based way that is wrong even if the world tells us you shouldn't disagree with them because you're being a bigot because you're being sexist or whatever you want to call it. If it isn't true, we have to disagree. If it isn't biblical, we have to disagree. But we do it in grace and love so that one day we hope that people will know the truth as we have and continue to discover it. What a fine line that we've got to walk as Christians being not acceptable to the world but being acceptable to God and we're only accepted because we believe in Jesus and even then we have to trust that the word that talks about Jesus is true itself what Paul warns Christians against is desensitizing ourselves or causing others to be desensitised by ignoring what we know to be true and that God's word is immovable truth. In other words, it's not okay that that freedom is is how you define it to be because that leads us into being a law unto ourselves. I can make up any law and do whatever I want if the law was judged by me. It's okay because it's true. How is it true? Because I said so. How do you justify murdering people? Well, because I made it so. Because in my heart, that's a law for me, and that's okay. That's truth. How far can we go when no longer truth is true? Uh, John Piper says this. My clicker's come back on. Great. Uh, "All, All human beings have sufficient knowledge of what is right and wrong written on their hearts so that their consciences can accuse them or affirm them. And at at the judgment day, they will not be held accountable for what they have no knowledge of, no access to. What he's saying here, and John Piper may um, correct me, but from what I've read of of what he was talking about here, um, it is true that we will not be held accountable for what we do not know. The problem is that we do know. If God has written on our hearts we do know right from wrong, we do know good from bad. And so, in other words, there is no excuse, not for Jew or the Gentile. The problem with thinking that autonomy is freedom is that ultimately those that fall to it will be judged by it, be it proclaimed proclaimed Christian or not. A Greek philosopher called Protagoras said, and I think I've got this on the slide. Um, oh, okay. Man is the measure of all things. Unfortunately, this theory uh, what he, that he poses here further emphasizes the desire to be a law unto ourselves. If man is the measure of all things, then all things can be what we want. I'm going to turn that off and stop that silly noise. Uh, Abdu Murray, in his book, he says, There are atheists who claim that the better angels of our nature will result in us reaching a rough agreement about moral values. But history has shown us that it's only a short leap from secular humanism to self-worship and supreme authority. Moral clarity shows us the objective truth beyond our preferences. And we have to mould our desires and preferences to the truth's boundaries, that is the word, because we don't want to conform, moral clarity has become the vice of the day and moral confusion, the virtue. Because we refuse to conform to the truth, when you come with the truth, it has become something you are hated for. That is the society we are faced with today. If we go towards being a law unto ourselves, it devalues the very human beings that it claims to protect Worse still, the principle of autonomy decides which humans are valuable and which are not. If we decide who is valuable and who is not, who is right and who is wrong, in our own truth, then many, many people are left out. People lose their rights where others gain. And yet in the Bible and the truth of the word is that everyone is welcome to come and believe in Jesus. There is no barrier to entry the only thing we are asked to do is to admit that we are wrongdoers, that we are fallen. This means that people that question or want to reason with evidence are only valuable to other people when they agree with the self-made, self-governed, self-actualized truth of the moment and the masses. We're only acceptable When we agree with the world we're only acceptable when we're up with the latest fad of society so when we lose the value of God's creation we lose the value of what it means to believe in God and hold his word as true so as Christians we're to promote freedom in God's law above autonomy and worship of self because that leads to true freedom truth and freedom go hand in hand it says in verse 25, <clears throat> James 1 verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Some people say that Jesus came, uh, and, and this might shock you, I hope it does, that Jesus came to break the law. That, that's just not acceptable he came to fulfill the law and even then does it isn't it weird when you read this verse and you think of the laws in the old testament and yet what james says here is whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom why does it give freedom because jesus fulfilled the law when we couldn't and through jesus we are accepted into his family How just God just turns things on its head. It's just amazing. The perfect law that we could not achieve was achieved by Jesus in our place. That's amazing. And I think that's the good news people need to hear. They need to hear that Jesus came to fulfill and not break the law. Where we were so insufficient, inefficient in fulfilling it, he came and perfectly fulfilled it. This is genuine freedom from sin. As we apply the principle and truth of Scripture for the Holy Spirit, we are freed from the bondage of sin and are able to obey God. And I'm going to leave you with this last verse. Uh, John 8, verse 34 to 36, or verses. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. Jesus has to fulfill the law so I can be set free. Perfect law in freedom. And so next week, we'll look at what freedom really means. What is the freedom that we actually need to discover and learn about in the Bible? This, this is heavy stuff, guys, but we, we need to know. We need to know the truth of Scripture to stand on it. We need to know the truth of when someone comes and asks us what it means to believe in Jesus, ultimately we hope that this will bring about a salvation in people's lives. And that's what we want above all all else, all things. People to come to God and for us not to be right, but for Jesus to be right. Let's pray. And then we'll worship one last time. Lord, I want to thank you that you have indeed set us free. The only only action that could be done to set us free, the only person, the only God in Jesus Christ that could do the job of setting us free, that could sacrifice himself to pay for sin that we could not pay for, to fulfil the law that we could not fulfil, Because we are so depraved and yet we come in our depravity and we are redeemed through Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law. Ah, Lord, how are we going to have to go through this in our heads for weeks and weeks? Why would you do such a thing for us, Lord? Why would you do such a thing for people that didn't deserve your grace and your salvation? Lord, you did it because you love us. Not because we're center of the world. But because you came to bring salvation to all people who will accept, believe, repent in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what you did on the cross. And none of us can take any credit for that. And Lord, your revelation in, in your word tells me that I don't think I want to take credit for that because I couldn't take it. So Lord, I pray that we will boast not in our righteousness, but we will boast all the more in the Lord Jesus and his righteousness. That Lord, we will discover more about your truth and just how powerful your word is to change, convict, and bring a revelation to people who are yet to know you. Lord, thank you for not Removing us for not sending us to uh, hell, we deserved, but for sending your son Jesus Christ who died on a cross so that we may live and proclaim his life forevermore. We thank you, Lord, that you are gracious. We thank you that Jesus is who he says he is. We thank you that you can do all things and have done all things. And we lift this message to you, we lift our hearts to you and say, Lord, will you do your will? and that we may do your will in your name. We thank you, Lord. Amen.